In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me start off by offering uh, greetings and prayers and support from everybody at St Paul's uh, Parish on the, uh, the far side, or the centre of Wokium, depending uh, where you're geographically uh, positioned. Um, it's rather nice in a way that when I was appointed Rector of St Paul's in 2012, David Hodgson was the area dean then. So he was a key part of the appointment process on the interview panel and uh, welcomed me very warmly to Wokingham when we moved down here from Manchester. So it's rather nice and rather appropriate, I think, that I'm the area dean now and I can offer the same service back to all saints that uh, I received uh, from David when we first moved here. So I am around for coffee uh, afterwards. I've been promised a very tasty coffee, although I'm not sure, is the machine working? Not not the big coffee. Not the big coffee machine. I'll have to come back for the big coffee machine. But I'm promised nice coffee and good conversations. So if you do have any questions about the um, appointment process, about the vacancy, uh, I have a role in that. So do ask me any questions you'd like to uh, over coffee. Today, as the order of service and the introduction suggests, is the first Sunday of Creation Tide, celebrated not just here at All Saints, but across wide swathes of the global church. Each season in the life of the church gives us a lens or a filter to look at our faith through. So in the season of Advent, we're trained to look for God's kingdom breaking in all around us. In the season of Easter, we are looking at everything through the lens of the resurrection, the triumph of life over death, of hope over despair, of light over darkness. And in Creation Child, We are challenged to love the world and to see the world as God does. The God who created it, who breathed life into it, who blesses it over and over with the Holy Spirit. Who delighted in it when it was created and delights in it still, while also grieving over the damage that is being done to it and the pain and the suffering around the world. So that's the season that begins today, Creation Tide. In each of the seasons, we're trained to see the world as God does. And that's true for this season, as with the other seasons of the church's year. So if God looks over creation as it's been brought to birth and pauses and smiles and calls it good. Sorry, that was a friendly bit of creation bumping into the microphone, uh, rather than me being clumsy for the sake of the recording. If God looks over creation and delights in it, what does it mean for us to do the same today? And how can we live on this earth with the same tenderness that God feels for it and for us? Our footsteps light, our impact shallow, leaving the plant a little bit more balanced and sustainable and better than we entered it. There's really three questions I want to come back to through this whole address, questions I hope that will live with you for the week ahead. What would it mean for us to see creation as God does? How can we live on the earth with the same tenderness that God feels for it? And what have you done in the last 12 months differently since the last creation tide as a result of the input you received a year ago? What would it mean for us to see creation as God does? 
How can we live on the earth with the same tenderness that God feels for it? And how have you lived differently in the last 12 months as a result of Creation Tide 2022? At first glance, the readings were given today, which are just the readings for Trinity 13, don't immediately fit into our theme of creation. But when we open them up, it's clear that the sense of call in both the reading from Exodus and Matthew is a call for all of us, for the whole church, for the whole world, to take seriously our call to be custodians and guardians of creation. The first reading we had from Exodus is a wonderful call narrative, which I think speaks to all of us who've ever felt a call from God. Our response isn't, I hope. Oh good, God's finally realised how amazing I am. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> I'm just so pleased, God, you finally realised how, how talented I am and that I'm really the answer to your prayers, God. That isn't mostly where our response starts. Mostly our response starts with, gosh, that's really big. I'm really small. I'm not up to this. I don't have the right skills. I really am kind of feeling slightly overwhelmed and hesitant about this great call you've placed on my life. That's certainly how most of us feel when we're called to something. And it's how Moses feels very clearly in this reading. He's just at work. He's caring for the flocks. He is struck by the fact that this bush is burning but not consumed. So he must have been watching it for a while to realise that the fire is burning but not destroying. And he notices, and then God speaks to him from the bush, and he realises it's on holy ground. And he feels tiny, and he feels insignificant, and he feels overwhelmed by the scale of what God wants him to do. There are only three conversations, I think, three points happening in this, um, in this encounter. The first is that God says, I've heard the cries of my people. The people are crying out to me. I've heard them. I'm responding. That's where this whole conversation starts. God hears his people longing for freedom and justice, for peace and mercy. Then God says, you're standing in holy ground. You're standing in my presence. So remove your sandals, which is, I think, something about saying to Moses, you're staying here for a while, settle down. It's like getting ready for prayer, it's getting the kneeler out, it's sitting comfortably and centering yourself. You're here for a while, you're meant to be here, settle. And then after those two things, God says, I'm sending you. You're the person I'm sending to answer the cries of the people in Egypt. You're the person I'm sending to take this holy ground with you into the conflict I'm sending you to. God calls Moses from his daily life and gives him a great charge. He promises to go with him and strengthen him and gives him the name I am as a guarantee and a strength. A strength both to Moses and to the people who are receiving him. So there is, at the centre of this really remarkable encounter, this conversation between God and Moses, this call that says, I've heard the cry of the people, I'm sending you. And on creation tide, in this new season that we're entering into in the life of the church, 
that sense of God hearing the cries of creation and God calling on us to be part of the response, part of the people God sends to help respond to this crisis, to this challenge, to this call. Those two things feel very important as we centre ourselves and step into this season. Like Moses, we're called to know God, to spend time with God, to love God. As disciples, we're called always to know that God loves us and is with us and travels with us every day. We're called to train ourselves to see the world as God does, to long for the things God longs for, to bless the thing God blesses, to challenge the things God grieves over. We're called to stand with God, to be with God, to live with God. And part of that response is around the environment. Part of it is about how we respond, how we live in the world that God has given us to relish and to treasure and to care for. There is, it feels, a tragic irony in reading of a burning bush this week, only a few days after wildfires have spread out of control in mainland America and Hawaii, destroying property and lives. The world is burning and we're called to respond to that as God does. Which brings me back to my three core questions. What would it mean for us to see creation as God does? How can we live on the earth with the same tenderness that God feels for it? And what's changed in our lives in the last 12 months since we last kept this season of creation? <clears throat> the Gospel reading that we're given in Matthew 16 also speaks of call, of vocation, of challenge, of invitation. It has a slightly um, scary and solemn tone because it's Jesus speaking of his own vocation, of his own call, of his own journey to Jerusalem, to the cross, to the grave, and then to Easter Day. There is a solemn tone to the conversation and we see how clearly Jesus is taking it because of his response to Peter. Peter says there must be another way. We must have another plan. This can't be what's meant for you. And Jesus says with words which are very, very serious and very, very heavy, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to lead me in the wrong path. This is the only path we have. We have to walk on this road to Jerusalem. And then Jesus goes on to say, you must take up your cross and follow. If you want to be discipled, there is a duty and a weight and a seriousness to what you're doing. You must take up your cross and follow me. Sometimes I think we choose our cross. Sometimes the cross is chosen for us and sometimes the cross settles on a whole generation and a whole community. I wonder if that is where we are today in this century and place, required to miss out on certain things we've come to see as our right in order to secure a better and brighter future for our planet. If Jesus comes to save the least and the lost and the last, if it's the poorest in the world who are facing the worst consequences of global warming on a daily basis, then it seems clear that creation care is a salvation issue. It seems clear that we cannot have and should not have everything we want because the price others pay and are paying is too high. I'm not talking about us being crucified. 
I don't think the challenge is the same that Jesus himself faces at all. But there is a challenge here for each of us to think and engage and make small changes to make a lasting difference about what we eat, about how we travel, about how we get our energy, about daily choices we make in small ways in our daily lives. We're not talking about crucifixion, we're talking about small adjustments which make a lasting difference. Because the world is burning and we're not untouched like the burning bush. God is grieving over the creation he first called good. Our luxuries are causing pain and suffering now to people on the other side of the world. And if we're called to see the world as God does and respond as Christ does, then part of our duty as disciples is to stop and see and change. It matters that our hearts beat with the heart of God. It matters that we look through the lens of God's priorities and values for the good of creation and for the good of those who cannot control the rising sea level and the sweep of wildfires, the lack of rainfall and the good earth which is becoming dust, swirled away by the wind. Which brings us back to our three key questions. What would it mean for us to see creation as God does? How can we live on the earth with the same tenderness that God feels for it? And what have we done differently in the last 12 months because of the way that we keep creation tied? There's three questions, and the questions that I'd like to leave you with now and in the weeks that lie ahead. And really they come down to one core question. What would it mean for us and for our world to see creation as God does? What would it mean for us to see creation as God does? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.